how to have a happy New Year's, Tyler's message this morning. I, we talked a little bit like Christmas last week and how sometimes that brings different feelings and emotions out in us. And you have all that anticipation and then, you know, and then it's over and then it's kind of a little letdown as we, we go into to the new year, maybe. Hopefully we remember and celebrate the miracles of Christmas that we talked about last week. The miracles being these, who came at Christmas. God himself came into our environment. God was skin on, came to, to dwell among us. How did he come? He comes as a baby, and nobody's really afraid of a baby unless they smell funny, and then you pass them off to somebody else. Who came at, who he came for? He came for you and I. And why he came? To redeem us, to rescue us, to give us love, life, and purpose. That he might fill our life till that time that God stops our heart and we are in his presence, actually. Just ask that you pray for my friend Scott. Sims and his families, they've lost their ground and they go through that grieving process as well. You know, there's a lot of hype and energy spent on Advent. Advent meaning coming. It all culminates in Christmas Day. And I pray that on Christmas Day that you were with your family and you felt the love and the warmth. Uh, and sometimes it's like Justin being gone and other people that are gone away that you come home on the holidays. It's just a special time. New Year seems like another matter, actually. A lot of times we get ready for that the new year, the enthusiasm like our cash is somewhat gone. And for some, New Year's Eve means a big party. And some won't even realize that the ball has dropped in Times Square. In their life, it's already dropped because of some other things they've been partaking in. It's a funny thing about preachers. Uh, Scott maybe can attest to this. A lot of times preachers don't get invited to New Year's Eve parties. You know why? I know this will hit none of you, but imagine you're at a New Year's Eve party and you might have one or two social drinks. And then the dreaded words come out. Let's do shots. It goes south pretty quick with shots. And can you rem imagine your face when you start ready to do shots and you pick the first one up and you look over the top of the shot glass and there's your preacher smiling, waving at you. That probably wouldn't go over so good. So you, you get my drift, you know what I'm saying? Not that this applies to anybody here. But, uh, we say Happy New Year. It, it all depends on how one combines the two basic elements of Happy New Year, happy and new. We Americans have great capacity for being entertained. As though happiness was something that you could pay other people to do for you. And we're, we're pretty tolerant sometimes. And sometimes parents, I think without thinking absentmindedly, might say this to their children. You do whatever you want to, honey, just as long as it makes you happy. If it makes you happy, it makes me happy too. We say things like that, but I don't really think we mean them. Americans pursue happiness with a vengeance. The thirst after happiness is never extinguished in the heart of man, Rousseau said. It's never quenched. We say with great patience and feeling, it's my right to be happy. It's my right as an American. It's my right as a follower of Christ that I should be happy. I demand it in my life. I demand to be happy. And the problem is, it's, it, it, that's focused outward. We are looking for somebody else uh, to make us happy. Because after all, 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are the foundations of the American way of life. It says so in the Declaration of Independence. It's right there in black and white. But here's the rub. Happiness and independence are best kissing cousins. They are really not as closely related as our happiness and interdependence. There's a simple formula for happiness that goes like this. You should do something every day, one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. That is profound, is it not? You're blessed when you worked, and you've worked up a good appetite for God, He's food and drink, and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. God speaking. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. This is in your bulletin. There's four ways to understand the Beatitudes. Number one, they are a code of ethics for the disciple and a standard of conduct for believers. Number two, they contrast kingdom values, what is eternal with worldly values, what is temporary. Number three, they contrast the superficial faith of the Pharisees with the real faith that Christ demands. And number four, they show how the Old Testament expectations will be fulfilled in the new kingdom. These are not multiple choice. You do not pick and choose. You take them as a whole. I have described here in this what we should be like as Christ's followers. It should be part of our DNA, actually. Each beatitude tells us how to be blessed by God. Blessing means more than happiness. It implies more the fortunate or enviable state of those who are in God's kingdom. The Beatitudes don't promise laughter, pleasure, or earthly prosperity. Being blessed by God means the experience of hope and joy independent of outward circumstances. To find hope and joy, the deepest form of happiness, we need to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. If you want to be truly happy, says Christ, you have to acknowledge the poverty of your spirit and be willing to let God make it right with his inexhaustible riches. If you want to be truly happy, you have to let yourself be touched by the pain and hurts of others. If you want to be truly happy, you have to insist on justice and be willing to pay the price to make the world place that works for everyone. That seems far-fetched to us, I am sure, but that has to be how we operate. It is why that we yammer incessantly that Jesus brings it up, 
we bring it up, we talk about it, we preach about it. You are light and salt. We are not here to be neutral or vanilla. We have to be one flavor or the other. We, with salt and light, it affects wherever it's at. And that is why God has thrust us into this world. I, I fear that our flavor is is falling in a sense that it's not as flavorable as it used to be, and that's part of the problem. But Jesus has given us the, the idea here on what it makes to be happy. If you want to be truly happy, start being compassionate and merciful, forgiving and generous, and be a dispenser of grace. Be a giver. If you want to be truly happy, clean up your own act. Take the rafter out of your own eye, and before you demand that your brother take the speck out of his. If you want to be happy, stop insisting on being right and trying to win every argument. Bring peace and harmony to others. If you want to be truly happy, decide what counts and commit yourself to it, no matter what it costs. If we do this, there's the big two-letter word in our lives. Everything revolves around if. If I want to. If I want to know God's Word, I will read and study it. If I want to be closer to God, I'll pray. If I want to be closer to God, I will listen to the Holy Spirit as He works in my life. But it all depends on that two-letter word. If we do this, if we follow Christ's advice, we will have all the happiness we can handle in the coming year. And as we get ready for this new year, we know that there are going to be changes, and sometimes we resist change fall into a pattern, if you will. It's like Swindoll said, we get in a rut, and a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. And that is some place that I hate to be, but I find myself there sometimes, and I struggle to get out of it, actually. The new year kind of changes that, because we might know some things. We'll know when our birthday will be next year. We know when Christmas will be next year. We know certain things, but there are so, so many things that we don't know. So as we look at this new year, here's a clip from a, a movie from 2012 called New York. This girl's giving a speech on New Year's Eve. Let's watch. Hello, I'm Claire Morgan of the Times Square Alliance. And as you all can see, the ball has stopped halfway to its perch. It's suspended there to remind us before we pop the champagne and celebrate the new year to stop and reflect on the year that has gone by, to remember both our triumphs and our missteps, our promises made and broken, the times we opened ourselves up to great adventures or closed ourselves down for fear of getting hurt. That's what New Year's is all about. Getting another chance. A chance to forgive. To do better. To do more. To give more. To love more. And to stop worrying about what if and start embracing what will be. So when that ball drops at midnight, and it will drop, let's remember to be nice to each other, kind to each other, and 
not just tonight, but all year long. Thank you. Being nice and kind to each other probably pretty much starts at home. You hear that cliche that charity starts at home. That's where we need to start, and then it needs to spread out. Do you realize that true happiness involves risk? The risk of allowing God to daily speak into our lives and then obey what He tells us to do. As someone has said, progress always involves risk. You can't steal second and keep your foot on first. It's like I said before, I, I do like the old year because I know what happened then. it. <laughs> I can't go back and change anything, but we learn to deal with things that happen. But the New Year's different. Like I said before, there's a lot of things that we don't know about the New Year. Socrates said the greatest six questions in the world are these. The what, the who, the why, the where, the when, and the how of it. Because it's so unknown. That is the word, unknown. Anything can happen, anytime, anywhere. Your cell phone can ring, and your world can fall completely apart, or it can get better. We, we, don't, we don't know that. But here's the problem. Here is where our old carnal nature comes into play with the help of Satan. It's like throwing gasoline on the fire, because then the doubt starts and we look into the new year, and we can envision all these things that might not ever happen. Hopefully they won't, but they could. Unknown. Always, why are they always on negative thoughts? I think for a lot of people they usually are. Always from the dark side. Thoughts such as, when we look at the new year, we think, threat of war. It's always there. Terrorists, there are terrorists everywhere. Accidents, death, cancer, sickness, disaster, calamity, chaos, on, on, and on, and on. And all these negative thoughts just wash over us in this huge tsunami of anxiety, and it paralyzes us. It, it, takes us, it takes us out of the mainstream where we need to be. It even takes us away from following Christ like we should because it almost induces paranoia in some of us because we're thinking about these, all these things that could happen. And for some, it causes moments of great grief and worry and fear. What do we do when this happens? Because it happens to all of us. We're all afraid of something. We all have negative thoughts about different things. And again, if we don't stand up, the enemy will continue to whisper those in our ear and implant them in our hearts until we can become a mess, actually. We go to Philippians 4, 6 through 7. We go to God's Word. That's, that's where we have to go for us to survive in this world as followers of Christ and for us to keep a Christ-centered attitude. We have to go here. We have no other course of action. This is where we go. Well, listen to what it says, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Anything. It's an absolute. There is no room there for any gray areas. Don't worry about anything. 
pray about everything. Take everything to God. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. There it is again, two-letter word, if. If you do this, if you do this, you will experience God's peace. And if you don't, you won't. That, it's as simple as that to me. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I like positive, affirmative, hopeful thoughts and scenarios. They're much better, don't you think? We can set and paint some of the most hideous, unbelievable scenarios in our own minds as we assume things. We can create that. We should think of thoughts that excite us, that look to our great God in great anticipation of what and how He will bless His children in this new year, because He know you know that He will. And how he uses for his glory. Thoughts like, what kind of exciting adventures is God going to call me into this year? What windows of opportunity will God open up? Divine appointments for me to be Jesus to people. They're going to, if you are aware and alive in Christ, this is bound to happen. A lot of times we miss it because we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit. We're in tune with something else. So we miss that. But I will guarantee you today, as I stand before you, if you're in Christ and you are listening to the Holy Spirit, opportunity after opportunity and divine appointment will open up for you to be Jesus in the lives of other people. And remember this, and I've said this a thousand times, there is no place off limits for God. There is no place that He won't ask you to do. And there's nothing He won't ask you to do. If it fits his purpose, and you're thinking when he puts you there, man, what am I doing here? Perhaps these thoughts don't warm your heart like ripping into packages and tearing open stuff for Christmas. But a lot of times, when you're on that roller coaster, I, I think I think following Christ is like that. That first hill's pretty slow. Chugging, jerky a little bit, some of them old ones do. But you know, when you get to that crest and you start down that hill, the meeting's over, you're not getting off. Man, how many times do I hear people, I'd like to get off? That's too bad, that's tough. You're going to you're on for the ride, actually. If, if I was going to form an analogy, that, that's kind of been like my life with Christ that, that hill and the chugging. And, but, but once you start down that hill, there's nothing like it. I could stand this morning and we could spend all day here. I could tell you a story after story that I didn't want to be on that hill. God had me there for a reason, and that's where I was going. But, you know, like I said, all these thoughts come out. We don't have time to share them. But that's, that's where our minds and hearts are. Be. God, what are, you, where are you going to take me? And I know many of you have been on mission trips with me, and you've been to Haiti and whatever, and it, it's kind of like that. It's not America. It was for an archer, but you understand what I'm saying? That God gets you out of your comfort zone into those places, and it, and it, and it does something to you. I, I don't know, but 2019, 
if we see it as a great adventure full of thrills and really looking expectantly to God to what He's going to do, I, I think we'll, we'll go into it better. Because here, here is something that each of us have to learn that is extremely difficult, and we waver back and forth. We need to tell ourselves every day, it's not about me. That is, that is so American. That, that is, it's just who we are, and I, I'm like that sometimes. I want the world to revolve around Eddie. I want everybody to pay me homage. I want to be the, the greatest guy that ever walked down the streets of Solomon. But it don't work like that. The only thing that has made me any different is because Jesus Christ lives in me. I don't want you to see me in any other light, which Diane has to because she sleeps with me. Do you know what I'm saying? She lives with me. But, but that's the point. To, to tell ourselves. It's not about me. It's always about Christ. And I have to remind myself of that a hundred times a day. It's not about, about me. So how do we have a happy new year? Holding the lessons of the old year very close to our hearts and waiting expectantly for new challenges. And there'll be threats and there'll be opportunities. And there'll be times this year that your heart might be broken. There's where the church should fill in as the body of Christ. Expecting the year to be both happy and new and committing ourselves to making it so. We survived Christmas, so we ought to be able to go into this new year. Then, as always, we, we reach out and God grabs our hand and we allow Him to lead us into and through this next year as he comforts our hearts and gives us great purpose and direction and hope. Would you pray this prayer with me this morning out loud? Lord, we thank you for loving us. You have given us a way to be happy in this life. The way is found in loving, following, and obeying you. You have given us your word to guide us. Help us, Lord, to hang on to you and each other as we venture into this new year. We love you, Father, and we ask those requests in Jesus' name. Amen.